Hello, everyone. Hello. Good morning. Feels pretty good to say good morning again, hey? Now that I finally got in the habit of saying good evening, but I think, think we'll get back to it. Um, yeah, feels good to be back. And truthfully, like, I loved sleeping in and uh, sleeping in on Saturdays and Sundays. Like, I, you know, it was great. But what's better is being back together here. And uh, yeah, really excited to be here. And really just, yeah, grateful to God that the cleaning on the first round, um, this could have gone longer, but we're grateful that the cleaning on the first round was done, um, yeah, fully. So, we're happy to be back. My name's Brennan. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm the Worship and Young Adults Pastor here at Eaglemont. Um, we are in our Romans chapter 8 series. So, for those of you who haven't been around last uh, couple weekends or couldn't make it to Saturdays, um, we are walking through Romans chapter 8 at the moment, we, uh, which is just an incredible chapter of Scripture. Romans, of course, being the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church, not one specific building, not, but uh, all the Christians in Rome is what is meant by that. So chapter 8 comes in the middle of, of this letter, and it's kind of the crescendo and the climax of this letter. Uh, as with, with much of ancient literature, the emphasis comes in the middle. So it's just such a rich chapter of Scripture, and we're going through kind of piece by piece over these nine Sundays. Um, this week, we're looking at Romans 8, uh, 18 to 25. So let's read that together. I'm reading from the NIV translation. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So we will talk a little bit about the whole passage, but uh, I just mainly want to focus, you know, what stood out to me is verse 18, the first verse. So Paul starts with, I consider that our present sufferings. Okay, so we'll, we'll stop there. Um, well, what is Paul talking about? You know, many of the Christians in the early church experienced a lot of persecution for being followers of Jesus, and I'm sure that was an issue in Rome, but, you know, there's no indication that Paul is referring to persecution specifically or really any type of specific suffering. And, you know, as he goes afterwards into this general kind of cosmic world is suffering, everyone is groaning and suffering, um, it seems clear that Paul is just saying suffering as meaning, you know, every type of pain and suffering that we experience living in a broken world, living in a world broken by sin, living as followers of Jesus. So he's really just kind of saying life in general, honestly, which I want to point out because I think it's important that we think about it this way, because we may automatically think of suffering as whatever pops into your head, you know, losing a loved one, dealing with an illness, mental health, uh, fear or worry, or just trying to get through the daily life that is a struggle, financially difficult times, natural disasters, or for, like I talked about many Christians, persecution and hate because they are followers of Jesus. You know, we, we think about suffering, or at least usually I think the first thing that comes to our, our mind uh, are things more that are done to us that we have no control over. And that for sure, I think, is included in what Paul's talking about, but I think also included this idea of sufferings, we can include the hardships 
that we as Christians choose to go through. Okay, and you might think, why would anyone choose to go through suffering? But I, I think that's the call of Jesus, isn't it? To lay down your life for others. Jesus called his disciples. He said uh, in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me or follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Take up your cross, lay down your life. That's the call of a Christian. You know, the verse before ours today, if you were here last week or listened, on, listened or watched online, um, is Romans 8, 17. It, and it says, if we indeed share in his sufferings. Well, why did Jesus suffer? Some of it, I guess, was just, you know, hatred of others and, and ill treatment. But why did he suffer? You know, what was the root of it? He suffered because he loved us. Jesus suffered for you and me. He suffered because he chose to come down to earth, because he chose to pick up his cross and die for us. And then what does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to pick up our cross and follow me, follow Jesus. So why would a Christian choose to suffer then? Just simply because that is a way, that is the way of Jesus, because it's how you love. Sacrifice is how you love. Giving up your own good or the things that you want for the good of others is how you love. Something Paul was very familiar with. You know, his suffering was suffering that, that he, you can say, chose or that he at least accepted would be a way to put it. Because honestly, he, he would not stop sharing the gospel no matter what. He would not stop talking about Jesus no matter the persecution and the suffering that came to him. He could have, he could have chose not to. He could have stopped preaching he could have just stayed at home, you know, read scripture by himself, prayed by himself, maybe talked uh, with a few friends about Jesus, had a, had a safe, comfortable life. He could have chose that. And um, yeah, but he could have chose to not cause a stir and just had a safe life with Jesus. But that's not really an option for Paul. That's not an option if you are following the call of Jesus to make your life about sharing the love of Jesus and making disciples. Paul, like Jesus, chose a life of love because the most loving thing that we can do here is to share the gospel, to share the story of Jesus and to tell people about how amazing he is and how he changes our lives and how he's good and loving. And that is the most loving thing we can do to others, to share that love, to show that love of Jesus. That's our calling. And then so part of our calling then is to walk into sacrifice, and which can be suffering and pain sometimes. You know, and I just wanted to make that distinction because, you know, again, when we hear suffering in these verses, I think we need to remember that there is suffering that comes with the way of Jesus. That, that is the reality. That is the calling. It's not fun, but there's no way to get around that. And yeah, life is hard normally. Life is hard for everyone. Uh, absolutely. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat that, doesn't shy away from it. There's pain, there's brokenness in the world, and life is hard. And there's going to be suffering that is just from living. But if we are following Jesus, there should be suffering or maybe discomfort or definitely sacrifice that comes from following Jesus, that we accept because of our call to be disciples. And in that, we walk in the way of Jesus and we share in his suffering. We're called to share in Jesus' sufferings, which is what Joel talked about last week, so I'm sorry for rehashing that, but it just, it sets up the verse that we're looking at. 
Last week's verse, again, Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So there's a hope. We share in his sufferings now, but we share in his glory later. Then, you know, verse 18, our verse today. Again, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So we can have hope. Honestly, praise God that there is hope, that this life is not empty, that that the pain and suffering we go through is not meaningless. We have suffering, yes, but compared to the life that is promised to us, compared to the future hope of Jesus coming back and the resurrection of his followers, it's not even worth comparing. Not that life isn't hard. Again, we truly suffer. There's pain here on earth. We're not meant to ignore that, pretend it doesn't exist or doesn't hurt and everything's okay. Life is hard. There's no need to pretend it's not. We shouldn't be, you know, just put a smile on our face just to be, pretend we're happy. Let's be a real community here. Pain is real. Life is hard. You know, you read through the, the Psalms in the Bible, and most of the, most of the Psalms, majority of them, are laments. Like just, just the writers of these poems and songs pouring out their hearts to God. They're, they're open. They're honest. They're, they're broken. They're angry with with the state of the world or the state of their lives. And, and these laments are also, of course, held in balance with, okay, God is, is good and is trustworthy and it's held in balance with God's promises. But it's, it's still good to lament. They're, they're honest. And I think God wants that honesty. I think he'd rather have us be honest with him, even if it comes out in anger, than to be apathetic and to not pray, and to not talk to God. We should be... Um, there should be brokenness with how the world is and how our lives can be and to say this isn't right and to pray into God moving and changing, changing the world and changing the things around us. So, sorry, all that to say, you know, pain and brokenness are real. There's no getting around it. But what waits for us, this is the promise of the verse, this is the promise of the gospel. What waits for us is beyond what we can grasp, imagine, or comprehend. And it will make anything we go through on this earth just look like nothing. That's just how amazing God is. He's just far beyond anything we can imagine. He is love. He is goodness. So the world that we get to live in, where we are fully in his space in heaven, is so worth anything that we go through in this life. And you know, if you come back in the following weeks or read ahead in Romans 8, there is hope in this life as well, not just in the next. There's hope in this life, and through the way of Jesus, there's deep joy, there's happiness, there's contentment that can be found in any walk, in any season of life, no matter what. I fully believe that. And God still wants what's, what's best for us. And honestly, sometimes hard seasons are what's best for us. That's how we grow. That's how we mature. That's how we learn to depend on God and draw closer to him. And even in those seasons, God is faithful. He's good, even when the world is not. And with all the pain, there's still so much good and beauty in the world But these verses today that we're focusing on are just focusing on the future hope. So that's just what we're going to dig into. You know, when Jesus comes back, which is just another layer of hope that we as Christians have. We have hope in this life and the next. And that hope is just an incredible gift and needed sometimes, really needed in our world. So again, to read the verse, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So let's just, let's get into this a bit more. Now that we have the context of of suffering, what that looks like, what our call is, what Paul is talking about, 
in our present sufferings in our heads. Um, in these verses, Paul is you know, looking forward to the future resurrection of all followers of Jesus. When Jesus comes back to create a new heaven and new earth, that is the promise of Scripture. So for those who you know, might be new today or newer to Christianity, I'm just going to sum up quickly you know, the whole story of the Bible, the whole idea of it. Because to understand this statement that Paul is talking about, you need to have the whole story of the Bible kind of in your mind. So let's just cover that. Uh, you might know some of it, but we'll cover it all in case. Actually, before, before we do that, we need to make a quick distinction about, I've talked a little bit about heaven and earth. We need to make a quick distinction between heaven and earth. So many of us, you know, when we hear heaven, you know, inside and out the church, outside the church, like everyone, when we hear heaven, we think the place I go when I die. And, you know, there are a few references, of course, to this idea in the Bible, but that is not how heaven is used most of the time. And that is not the story of the Bible. The goal of the Christian life is not to just get to a better afterlife. Okay, so we have earth, of course, our space, our dimension, pretty clear. And then we have heaven, which is God's space. The original word also sometimes referred to the air or the sky, like the heavens. But most of the time in the Bible, it's referring to just where God resides. Now, our space and God's space, heaven and earth. Now, it's not two distinct places because it's actually two realities or dimensions that can overlap and become one space. So the story of the Bible is that heaven and earth were one in the beginning, you know, where God and humanity could live together in harmony. And that harmony was then broken by Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden, so heaven and earth were separated because God could not reside where there was sin also. So then heaven and earth were brought apart. Then the rest of the biblical story, in various ways, is about bringing heaven and earth back together. And then what Jesus did in the Gospels made that possible and set that in motion to be fully done again. Once again, like we talked about the resurrection of the new creation in heaven of heaven and earth. That is the promise of the future, that heaven and earth we brought together perfectly again one day. So that is what Paul's referencing when talking about the glory that will be revealed in us. That glory is God's redeeming work in the lives of those who follow him and followers of Jesus that will be resurrected. So not just, not just spirits floating up in the clouds, um, but resurrected into new perfect bodies. No death, no decay, no pain redeemed fully into children of God. Jesus will come back and redeem the whole creation, create a new heaven, new earth. So we don't just go to heaven. The story of the Bible is about heaven and earth becoming one. Jesus coming back and redeeming this world. You know, where God and followers of Jesus will live together again. You know, but during this time on earth, our goal, our mission, our calling here is to make our lives about seeing heaven come to earth. God's kingdom come to earth. You know, that is what Jesus' life and ministry was all about. It was about seeing God work here on earth, being used to spread the gospel, to spread love and, and justice. And that is what the church should be about now. So I say, you know, bringing heaven to earth. Anytime God moves, you know, heaven is just where God is. Anytime he is moving, it is heaven. Um, Jesus brought heaven to earth. And now heaven and earth are together even in us, as the Spirit lives in us. So um, we need to be all about sharing that, all about bringing heaven to earth and praying into that, just as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Okay, now I, I went on that uh, little ramp because I feel like for many Christians, when we think of heaven, we only think of the place I go when I die. And of course, it's going to be perfect, and it's going to be uh, paradise, and it's going to be incredible, uh, beyond what we can comprehend. It will actually be amazing. But the story of the Bible is not about just going there when you die. The story of the Bible is about God bringing heaven to earth now. God restoring the world now and, do, and working through that process now. Starting that process through Jesus and continuing that. And we should so badly want to see heaven on earth now. God moving and doing his healing work. You know, we shouldn't want to just leave this world behind and can't wait to be done with it. We should have a deep desire to see this world redeemed because that is what Jesus wants and that is what is best for our world. So Paul's not just saying, you know, just make it through this life of suffering. It'll all be over one day, don't worry, and then you'll get to heaven. No, 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 that's, I don't think that's the tone. We are not meant to just wait around, just live our lives normally, or just to suffer through life just to get to the next. Paul is saying, give God your all now. Give this life your all now. You know, run the race of life well, but you can run with the end in mind, knowing that it'll all be worth it. Let that bring hope and greater passion for this life now. Because no matter the suffering, no matter how much you sacrifice, how much you give to God and others, whatever pain comes from this life or, or living the way of Jesus, it just cannot compare to what is in store. That's the promise. It's like what a beautiful hope and promise we have as followers of Jesus. Okay? And you know, I talked about not wanting to escape earth and just get to heaven, um, but maybe some of us have the opposite problem. You know, I think for some of us, we don't think about the future new creation enough. You know, yes, we should be focused on heaven coming to earth now, but we still, we still do have the future resurrection and eternity to look forward to. We still have that amazing hope, and sometimes we need that hope in our lives. You know, maybe some of us just don't get excited about heaven because we just can't really comprehend what it'll be like. Okay, but remember, when Jesus creates the new heaven, new earth, new creation, it's supposed to be like the garden. That's the whole story of the Bible. It's like returning to the good world that God created at the beginning. So get the picture out of your head of just spirit angels floating in the clouds, singing and playing harps. Because um, frankly, I think that would get old. Uh, but it, you know, it'll be like the garden. It'll be a perfect life. Like in, in the full presence of Jesus, in the full presence and in deep, deep relationship with the God who is love and who is goodness and who is perfect. Like that will be amazing. It'll be beautiful. It'll be perfect. Heaven and earth coming together in new creation is actually like what we long for, what we ache for, even if we can't put it into words. You know, we look at the world and we see the injustice and the violence and the natural disasters and the brokenness and, and the evil and the pain. And, and, and we say, you know, this isn't right. This isn't how it should be. These things are, are wrong. And yeah, you're right. This isn't how it should be. Our world is broken. This isn't the good world that God created. It's broken by sin. But he is in process of restoring it. Bring us back to a world that is good. That's what we can hope for. And like I said, it'll be a perfect life. Like, I, I have no doubt that it'll be a million times better than what I can imagine because God is so much better than, you know, so far beyond us. So he's so perfect and good beyond what I can comprehend and imagine. But even just think of a life with no struggle, no pain, where everything is joyful, where there's just, there's beauty and, and, and a life where you can enjoy everything that God has created and enjoy his presence, which is a beautiful experience here on earth. 
I can't imagine what it'll be like in full. And, uh, you know, where there's our joy will just constantly be greater than any joy we can experience now. It's, it's hard to comprehend, but this should bring us hope. You know, and where you don't get to just enjoy creation that God has made, but you get to create and cultivate beauty in the world that God has created. He put us on earth to steward it, to take care of it. So, you know, like, I feel like you know how people say, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I don't think that's possible here on earth. I think that's something that even, you know, even if you have a dream job, no matter how good it is, still is days where it's work and you don't want to do it and it sucks. But in the new creation, I think that that will be true. That sense of work being fulfilling and life-giving and something you're passionate about. So um, I just believe that that will be in the garden as well. And don't let the word work scare you. I know some of us would just rather have eternity sitting on a beach for, uh, for the rest of forever, but um, it's like a dream job that you're passionate about, um, but just made perfect and without the struggle and just joy. You know, any pleasure we get from this world will only be made perfect and greater. It's a world without pain and just filled with beauty, with wonder, with God's creation, with human creation, with art and feasts and parties and rest and worship and community and communion with the life-giving God. Like, that is truly amazing. That is the hope that we have. So when Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, that is the hope we have. And as Christians, we, again, we must strive to see heaven come to earth, God move on earth, knowing that the future heaven and earth will make any striving, any pain, any sacrifice and suffering worth it. So we can run this race with the end in mind. That is the encouragement that I want to leave with you in this passage, is to run with the end in mind, with that hope when we need it. Uh, so like I said, I'm, that was the main focus of today, but I just want to quickly cover the rest of the passage. Um, let's read through and summarize the rest of the passage just quick to end our time today. So verse 19 says, For creation waits in eager expectation for children of God to be revealed. So here Paul just begins to pers personify creation itself, uh, but the truth is, you know, that the world itself is not as it should be. Without heaven, the earth is broken and fractured, and there's death and decay. There are natural disasters. And even with all of its beauty, uh, the world is still broken, waiting for Jesus to return and to restore it to wholeness. Verses 20 to 21. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And there's different interpretations uh, whether this was referring to Adam's will to sin and then subjected our, our world to suffering or God's will uh, because as a result of sin, there need to be consequences and heaven and earth could no longer be one. Um, I think most scholars believe that Paul's referring to God's will here. But back to the verse. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Again, creation is subjected to frustration or ineffectiveness. It's not all it should be. It's not fully what it should be. Even then, though, even through all that, there's hope that the whole world will be liberated from the curse when God's glory is fully shown, when Jesus comes back and returns and we're resurrected as full children of God. Hey guys, sorry if you're watching this later on YouTube and I'm just gonna jump in here. Uh, there was a glitch with the live stream, so the end was cut off, so I'm just re-recording my sermon. 
um, just, the, just re-recording the end of it. So let's get into where we left off. Uh, verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. And you know, some of you feel that verse just, just deep in your souls. Creation groans and, and suffers. Like guys, I am 26. I will be 27 in a week. Why is my neck and why are my shoulders always sore? Okay, like why as a teenager, uh, and even as a younger adult, I could recover from anything and now I'm just always sore. Like one time at a friend's house, um, this, was, this was grade 12, okay? So I was the last one awake, a lot of like 10 guys at the sleepover and I turned off the show that I was watching or something. I was, uh, and then I looked around, all the beds were taken. Everywhere to sleep was taken. And like I said, like 10 guys in a basement. So like three guys in a bed kind of taken, no, nowhere to sleep. So I had to improvise. I, I had this, uh, I saw this little, little kid's chair, like the one you see on the screen, except just plain, it wasn't Lion King. Uh, I, so I, I took that and then I sat in that and put my head on a regular kitchen chair. And I slept like that. Like, uh, why, didn't, why didn't I go home? I was five minutes away from my house. I don't know. I major FOMO, I guess is fair. Um, but anyway, slept on a kid's chair, head on a kitchen chair, and I was fine. Like no pain, just normal life, whatever. I was fine. How? Now I, I, I need, I can't find the perfect pillow. And so my neck is always sore. And so, you know, I'm just, I relate to this verse and I'm just like, yeah, yep. I just accepted it. Like, nah, life is pain. Living is suffering. No one escapes it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I know I'm not old yet, but I, I, I feel like I'm getting there. You know, my, soon my knees will be weak and I'll throw out my back and have to miss bingo night with my friends. So I'm a little worried. But um, yeah, but some of us, you know, we just, we relate to this verse. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So that I can't relate to. But as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Again, there is this, there's this pain that creation has, waiting for new creation to come, anticipating for the release from the curse and the birth of the new world, not just humanity, but the whole world. Uh, the whole creation needs to be redeemed and made new. Verse 23 uh, says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This passage covers what theologians call the already not yet reality that we live in. And we can't go into this much today, but pretty much what it means is like, yes, Jesus has saved us and we are adopted and he's won the victory over sin and over death, but we are still waiting for the final days when that will be fully realized. It's like all of that has happened, but it's not fully done yet. And uh, you know, in the resurrection and the new creation, we will be fully saved from sin and fully saved from death and fully made into the image of Jesus. And that is the hope that we live in now. You know, I, I liked this, uh, this explanation from a commentary on this passage. It says, the hope is not simply imagination, however, for it is grounded in a firm guarantee, just as the first fruits, was the actual beginning of the harvest, so the spirit within believers is their initial experience of a future age. So the spirit within us is the initial experience of a future age. 
you know, life with the Spirit and walking with Jesus is the initial experience, but it points us towards a future age where it'll be full. Um, and you know, that is the hope that we have for the future. Not just not because of some blind faith, not just because of what the Bible says, even though we believe the Bible to be God's word and completely trustworthy, but we have this hope because we experience God now, because his spirit lives in us now, and that is the first experience of what will come and the future hope that we have. You know, and then Paul just kind of ends this verse uh, just by making a statement about how waiting, how uh, enduring is part of hope, because the hope that we have is looking forward in anticipation for something greater. So we wait for the future reality patiently through this life, enduring whatever this life sends our way. And I just want to end with a quote from N.T. Wright, um, a quote about this passage. It says, At the center of this remarkable passage is one of Paul's most vivid images of hope, that of birth pains. He says the whole creation is in labor, longing for God's new world to be born. And the church is called to share that pain and that hope. The church is not to be apart from the pain of the world. It is to be in prayer at precisely the place where the world is in pain. That is part of our calling, our high, strange role within God's purposes for new creation. People who pray at the point of pain. That is who we should be. Notice how N.T. Wright uh, is a theologian, he, he also makes this, pa- this passage about the people of God being focused on heaven coming to earth. People praying at the place where the world is in pain. Why? Because that is how we see God move. And that is how we see heaven and earth come together, through prayer. You know, we may talk about giving and, and serving and being loving and inviting friends to church and, and sharing the gospel. All that is incredible and needed in the Christian life. But prayer is the greatest thing that we can do for our world. It's the greatest thing for our communities and our families and this world is to pray. Just as, God, just as Jesus taught us, pray to see God's kingdom come and to see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To see heaven come to earth, we need to be people of prayer at precisely the point of pain in this world. So let's do that now as, as we close in prayer. Pray with me. God, thank you for this hope that we have. Jesus, thank you that we don't have just hope in this life, even though we do, we have hope in the next. And that through everything that we go through in this life, we know that there's hope in the next life and that whatever we go through, it'll be worth all the pain and suffering of this world. Thank you, God, for that hope. Help us to hold on to that hope as we live our daily lives. Help us to follow you, to pick up our cross, to endure suffering for you, to walk into sacrifice um, for your kingdom to come here on earth, for the good of others, for the good of the world. Help us to be people that earnestly pray for our world, that earnestly want to see heaven come to earth. God, stir that passion in us. May our lives just be so focused on you and your kingdom and seeing your work be done seeing the good that you want to do be done here on earth. And God, we just pray that you will be moving in amazing ways in our families, in our community, in Beaumont, in Eaglemont. God, we just pray for heaven to be done. We pray for the healing 
that you want to do, we just pray that our hearts be drawn closer to you. We pray that your kingdom will be shown, that the love and the goodness and the joy of your kingdom will be here on earth. And that it'll just point to you. Thank you, God, for this hope that we have of heaven now. And thank you for the hope that we have in the new creation, heaven and earth, after, later when you come back and finish what you've started and return us to a good world. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your love. Amen. Thank you, church. Have a great day.